Who is this stranger in front of me? I was about to ask the same thing. It's good to have. It's it's good to be back. It really is. It is. It's been. It feels like forever since we've uh, had a a clerical, clearly speaking, original format episode. That's right. We uh, well, you were away, and then I was away, and where you were at Yellowstone. I was. I was in Yellowstone and the Grand Tetons. Nice. And then I was off doing a retreat for the missionaries of charity. Which was kind of awesome. It is kind of awesome that ministry you do for those guys. So, so do you tell me about it. How did it go? What were you talking about? Uh, so, so the, the reason. So, August twenty second is their feast day, and actually, what the feast day is, it's a transferring of the Immaculate Conception, or sorry, not the Immaculate Conception, sorry, the Immaculate Heart of Mary uh, to August twenty second, because when Mother Teresa founded the order, it was founded on August twenty second, which was the feast day in the old calendar of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Ah. Uh. So when the calendar changed, the MCs asked Rome for that they could celebrate um, the Immaculate Heart on August 22nd still. And so because that's now the Queenship of Mary. So mm-hmm. they now move the Queenship of Mary to the 16th in their community and they do the Immaculate Heart on the 22nd. So it's the feast day of the foundation of their community. It's the day they renew like in a devotional way their vows and um and but prior to that, part of their constitutions is that they're supposed to have a three-day retreat for prior prior to that three-day silent retreat, yeah. meditating on their constitutions, on on trust, surrender, and, and cheerfulness. So they asked me to come and do a retreat on that. Unfortunately for me, I am super last minute, and I kind of realized that that week that I need to stop doing that. Was it just um, last week you realized you should stop doing that? It was a grand I've realized it. Well, let me. I've I've re, I've realized it before, but it. It hit me more really deeply. I mean, that being said, the sisters apparently loved it. So I did three talks. So what I actually decided to do, this is actually, this was a little inspiration of the Holy Spirit was mm-hmm. the triduum. I, I actually got thinking, well, what's it, what the, let's let's take the pattern of the Paschal triduum. Oh, okay. The church. Yeah. So I so the first talk of each day was to reflect on one of on Holy Thursday, Good Friday. Or Holy Saturday, and how each of, and then the next talk was on the constitutions, which I'm I'm forgetting exactly which one paired up with which right now, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, the idea was that each of these days reveals something about in the mystery of Christ's life reveals one of the three elements of the constitutions of the sisters, and so you talk about the constitutions properly about how to live it, and then the third one was on the evangelical councils on poverty, chastity, and obedience. Yeah. Uh, and so, so I, the third talk was on that. I especially, I especially loved giving the talk on chastity because I was ripping, riffing off of um, Father Prospery's article in Communio on the on the self giving nature and the fuller giving nature of virginity. Which maybe I'll do an episode like on on for us one day on that because it's a great article. Mm-hmm. But so I was just kind of riffing on that for the sisters, and you know, preaching mass. But this is the thing, like, folks, it may sound like, oh wait, he just gave three one hour talks. That doesn't sound like a lot of work. No, no, no. The sisters put you to work, okay? So it's like you're doing mass, you're helping with confessions, you're you're doing adoration and devotions for them. You're helping, um, and and God bless the sisters. They are sweethearts. Sure. They they cooked meals for me every day. Uh, the second day, Sister Alinda, who was actually the superior when I was in Gallup, she was the superior there. So she's in that community now in St. Paul, Alberta. She made. She's very good at making Indian curry. Ooh, and she makes it very spicy. <laughs> My nose was running, and I was so happy. Was People so happy. who like spicy food are weird. I love spicy food, man. <laughs> and then I think it was on the third day. I was talking about. Um, I was talking about um, this experience I had once in prayer. And I won't go into the whole thing right now, but it ends off with me getting pizza at dinner. And uh, and the sisters were just laughing so hard. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's a nice, cute story about how God provides these little things and he shows his love for us, right? Well, no, they were laughing because they were making me pizza for dinner that night. Oh, what beautiful (laughs) providence. Providence pizza. Yes. Did the pizza pizza have pineapple on it? It did not. Of course not. Because the sisters of charity are holy. Exactly, and why would they put disgusting things like pineapple on pizza? <laughs> uh, um, so then, uh, and then we had the feast day on the Thursday, and it was beautiful. We had a big mass. We I sang the whole mass. The their chapel was packed with people, and then we went off. 
I spent the day with them. They don't get to go out very much. This was like one of their two days out of the year. Mm -hmm. And I got to go spend it with them, which was a really beautiful thing. And just to hang out with those sisters. And at the end of it, this is the... uh, this is the cherry on top. I mean, because I came back always spirit. I'm exhausted, right. but spiritually renewed yeah. always when I'm with the sisters. Um, sister Dimfna John was telling me that there's a sister in India, in Calcutta, who's in charge of organizing the priests to come and do conferences all over the world. And she says, I'm phoning her this week and I'm giving her your name. Ooh. But, but no, no, it gets better. She goes, I'm specifically going to ask her that they invite you to Calcutta so that you can say mass at Mother Teresa's tomb. Oh, my goodness. That is terribly yeah. exciting. <laughs> that would be like, so cool. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so that was my week, and it was awesome. And now we're back. I'm, I mean, today, it's the end of the summer, which means the church year is ramping up. I've been sending out, you know, the agendas for pastoral council, mm-hmm. finance mm-hmm. committee, getting stuff ready for our school, all that stuff, figuring out schedules for the year. I just regist- finished my final steps of registration for my doctoral program today. Yeah. So it's it's wrapping up. But yeah, it's been good. So yeah. So I'm Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony. And welcome to Clerically Speaking. Also, please consider donating to our Patreon. Money goes towards paying our equipment and podcast hosting fees as well as paying producer nick a just wage for all the work he does any money collected that goes beyond that will be donated to those same missionaries of charity that i was just well not that community per se but that order yeah that order of sisters and if you donate you get access to the producer nick podcast where he reviews and ridicules the previous week's podcast so go to patreon.com slash clerically speaking to get the producer nick podcast so on that note speaking of producer nick i have two questions first of all did you did you hear his podcast for our patreon listeners yes i did what did you think of it and i'm trying to remember it now because it's been it's been like a week so he started off by just like yelling yay right yeah and then yes which is what he does the pizza guy came in the middle of the podcast that's right that was so funny (laughs) you're just like holding the fort while he's just talking up the pizza guy (laughs) you can hear the pizza guy in the background was there pineapple on the pizza of course not because we're good holy catholics here clearly speaking absolutely good 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 good. second question have we decided whether or not we're going to pay producer nick for last week we are oh no of course we're not right he didn't do any work he did zero work he was too in busy fact, dancing the night while, away in Ecuador. While, what? Right. While you and I want to have no benefit of this podcast, uh-huh. I think you should get paid for last week's work. I mean, it's hard to argue that I shouldn't be paid. Why should we pay the lady when we could pay priests? Right? We'll have to discuss this right. more off air. <laughs> it's good to see you. How are you doing? It's been, yeah, it's yeah, been Yeah, I'm doing great. So I went to Yellowstone and the Grand Tetons with uh, the great Carl Stuvek, who is slowly gaining more followers on Twitter. Um so we, I'm not like a, um, how do I put this? I'm not like a cardio person, right? Right. So I go to the gym, I lift, that makes me happy. It's a good way to blow off some steam. Exercise is good, blah, blah, blah. But like as far as like endurance work and like cardio work, I'm not that guy. I've never been that right. guy. But the idea of hiking through Yellowstone and the Grand Tetons, that sounds really exciting. So we get into Yellowstone and the first thing you have to do is you have to find a park ranger. Because if you're going to okay. camp in the backwoods, not just some like little thing off the side of the road, but actually hike out in there and camp, you need to reserve a camping place and blah, blah, blah. Also, we had no idea where we were going. Like, we showed up and, <laughs> like, we're going to Yellowstone. That was the plan. <laughs> that was the big plan that we had, okay? We had all of our equipment, all of our gear, but our plan was let's go to Yellowstone and camp somewhere. But the uh, park rangers, they were super nice and super mm-hmm. helpful. But the thing mm-hmm. about my buddy Carl is that he, when he gets into something, he goes to the extreme, often okay. to his own detriment. So mm-hmm. we we're going to go through this uh, Pebble Creek Trail and then go over these mountains and then back. And now we would do that in three days. And you know how topographic maps work, Father Harrison? Sort of. So basically, on the topographic map, there's these lines. And depending mm-hmm. on how close the lines are together, that lets you know how steep right. the hills are going to be. Right, I'm looking right. at this map. I see all these squiggly lines super close to each other. And I'm like, Carl, I don't think this is a good idea. The problem is I can't be super convincing with my argument because I have no reference and no idea. I just have this gut feeling it's going to be bad. But he's like, we have to do it. We have to do it. We have to do it. Thank God this nice young ranger comes in and she looks at what we were doing and she goes, oh, no, that's going to be a bad hike. 
So luckily, we didn't do that hike. We mm-hmm. did a nine-mile hike. It was about 100, uh, 1,500 foot elevation, and pretty much all of that elevation was in the first three miles. Mm-hmm. So we start off, we're a mile in, we're dying. Second mile, mm-hmm. dying. Third mile, we, we like... We finally got to the first campsite. We weren't going to camp there, but we could rest there. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if we can if we can make it. But we had we had some <laughs> snacks and stuff. And we're like, you know what? I'm I'm going to ride home to my exactly. to my family and let them know how much I'm going to miss their face. I was going to toss myself <laughs> over the mountain, roll down, get back to the car, and just drive to Pittsburgh. That was. But like the thing is, you're with two other dudes. You don't want to be the guy that lets everyone down. So it was a little yeah. bit of pride that was in me. <laughs> So we did it. We did this uh, six more miles, and it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. Um, there were these open valleys. There were we could see the mountains. We went through one place where there had obviously been a forest fire some time back. All the trees were like falling over and bleached white. It looked like um, the bone graveyard from The Lion King. It was like super cool, super amazing. But we are just dying on this. Like I'm dying. I'm huffing and puffing the entire time i've got 35 pounds on my back i don't like walking but you have to keep moving you have to keep moving mm-hmm. we get into this big open valley there's some mountains to our left and we know we're like maybe a half mile away from the campsite at least we should be but you can see nothing but there was mm-hmm. this one last hill and you can't see beyond this little little tiny hill and i thought to myself if we don't see our campsite beyond that hill i think i'm going to die <laughs> Sure enough, we go over the hill, we see the campsite. Beautiful, wonderful, there it's there, and we had a great time. Um, it's funny how quickly like your body adjusts to like the pack and to the hiking. Mm-hmm. Like You can push your body more than it wants to go if you're really committed, and we were. And we had a great time. No bears, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did all the bear precautions and stuff. We were very smart about all that. Um, bear spray is expensive. Bear spray is like really? 45 bucks a can. Huh. And we didn't use any of it, thank goodness, but we also can't bring it back on the plane, which is super why, annoying. You, why didn't you just use your Italian must? My Italian must just kind of put that in a can, stick yeah, some aerosol exactly. in that. Yeah, just... exactly, exactly. <laughs> I don't know, maybe Italian, maybe bears like Italian food. I wasn't going to risk it. Okay. <laughs> so no bears, no wolves, which they have wolves in Yellowstone now. That's exciting. Okay. Like 107 of them now. So yeah. none of that, but they were very aggressive squirrels. That really wanted my food the last day of the uh-huh. hike. But yeah. we went back safe and sound. Hiking nice. was fun. We'll do it again. Yeah. I did I did something once like that, too, when I was in, in northern Italy. I was doing this course on C.S. Lewis. And it was, so that's near the Alps. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, we're going to go for a, a hike. I'm like, oh, cool. Uh, when I hear hike in B.C., a hike is going on generally a trail. Yeah. That it's going to have some elevations and stuff like that, but that's it. But it was a similar experience. It's like the first two hours was just climbing. Oh. And I'm just like, I'm not going to. And I wasn't trained for that. I was like, <laughs> like I'm, gonna, I'm dead. I'm dead. And then after that, you kind of survive. And it's just, but it's, and it's beautiful, right? And it's, it's, it's like you, you wish you would do it more often because yeah. it actually, you never do. But you know, and you do have those experiences. It's, it's really uh, quite beautiful. Well, I'm glad you made it back alive. Same. I'm sure your pastor is very happy about that, He too. is, because there's a lot of work to do at Holy Spirit <laughs> Parish. My goodness, we're revamping everything for religious but, education. and Right, but this is why you have a newly ordained priest. You give him all the work. Right, exactly. Father Brendan, right? as we heard from last yeah. uh, episode. Yes, and he's, exactly. he's, he's, he's jumped right in. He's doing plenty of work That's himself. That's good. Good. Excellent. So, be, well, before we move on, mm-hmm. we, ha- we have some news at Clerically Speaking. <gasps> we some do cool have news. some news. Yes. We, we've kind of hinted at this a little bit, but it, we're excited to say that we are going to be at the Dakuza Education Conference. Or is that right? Anyways, the DCEC mm-hmm. at Notre Dame University, in November 7th to 9th. And we're going to be doing a four-person panel with yourself, yes, myself, mm-hmm. Shannon Last, who we heard a couple weeks ago, and uh, Sister Teresa Alethea, uh, who uh, everyone knows from Twitter. Also known and as we're gonna the do this, Death Nun yeah, or the Skull exactly. Nun. And the person chairing our panel will be uh, Jeff Pajanowski, who is a fan of the podcast. Hey, Jeff. And who uh, kind of initiated this whole idea, and uh, they approved it, which is kind of crazy. Like, we're going to be at this massive interdisciplinary conference at one of the most prestigious Catholic universities. How did this happen? This I is, don't know. <laughs> this is the second weirdest thing that's happened because of this podcast. First of all, a miracle happened. Producer Nick got a girlfriend because of this podcast. Right. That's definitely yeah. the most outrageous, right? 
But now we're going to like a major university to do like a real yeah, academic thing. Yeah, it I know. It blows so, my mind. Yeah. And so we're going to be doing a, a panel on social media and friendship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, all, yeah, we're, we're going to discuss what that's going to look like. We're also looking, I haven't heard back from Father Anthony about this yet, but uh, I'm going to drop it anyways. Okay. We're also looking to maybe doing something like a theology on tap while we're there. Hey, I'm down. We're, we're there. Yeah. And we'll probably, and, uh, we'll probably get the talk onto our Patreon for our Patreon supporters, the panel talk mm-hmm. as well. So lots of cool stuff. So if you're in the area, come on out. Come and see. Come and say hi. It'll be great to meet you. Come for the conference. The whole theme is friendship this year. It looks amazing. There's going to be some amazing speakers because there always is because it's Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's let's have some fun and learn together and grow in Christ together. Should we, so, should we tell them that we're also going to do at least one recording when we're there? Oh yeah, we're going to have one. Probably, I wouldn't be surprised if we have two. Right. Right. So maybe if sister, we're there in sister can join us. Maybe. Mm. I think. Well, let me put it this way, Sister Teresa threw down some threats if we didn't let her on the podcast. <laughs> okay, good, so, good. Yeah, yeah. You just need to threaten. The, We're already scared of religious sisters yeah, exactly, as it is. Exactly. Exactly. They're so holy. And it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, the holiness is too much. Uh, but yeah, speaking of too much holiness, mm. um, it's St. Augustine's feast day today, and one of the great commentators is another saint with too much holiness, St. Thomas Aquinas, Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica, Summa Tweetologica, Summa Tweetologica, Summa Tweetologica, we talk of Tweetologica, Summa Tweetologica, Summa good that was a good one thank you jumped right into that now quick question and you don't have to answer if you don't want to but what qualifies too much holiness uh so i'm forgetting the greek word right now for full of grace but hyper gracia something like that yeah probably exactly that i'm definitely right that sounds greek and latin at the same time though Mm -hmm. that's that's probably both lungs of the church yeah there you go uh so that word means not just full of grace, but like overflowing. Mm, beautiful. So there's almost too much. Almost right? too much. God, <laughs> God lavishes his grace. He, he gives us more than we could even need. Beautiful. So that's every saint, really. They understand this and they live that. Mm-hmm. All right. So the Summa Theologica with St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology and the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. First up, man, it feels so weird. We haven't done this together for a while. It's like, yeah, it's just... It's weird, but it's good. All right. Uh, from at Kevin underscore JG. Kevin. The Kev. As proof that liturgical boomerism is not limited to the Novus Ordo, let me offer the homily I heard at a Latin mass today, which was primarily about the cults and alluded to Andrew Luck as a type of Christ. Okay. Before we discuss this, I think we need a little um, advisory message before we discuss it. Which is what? Which is boomerism is a mindset, not an age. Okay. Yes. 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 Okay. Because <laughs> yes, just I mean, okay. as a side, because yes. a lot of times uh, on right. Twitter, it's very easy to like place people in camps because that's what, what our yes. lizard brains do anyway. So we don't want to do yeah. that. Um, for example, uh, at our parish festival, one of the days I wore my cassock around the festival, and it was all the old timers who loved it and complimented it. Uh, so like the idea that all boomers are the same that's not true so that's not right. what we're saying but right. we're saying is a certain yeah. kind of attitude in the church colloquially known as boomerism so don't take right. any offense unless you right. actually like this kind of stuff in which case yes. we're trying to offend you and again another thing to help understand this tweet is who andrew luck is oh. i actually didn't know who andrew luck was until people had started explaining i don't watch i don't watch football football I watch real sports football is like um hockey except with more traction and more stops like it's more stops in play. Exactly. It's, well, no, I, I mean I've seen football. I've watched it. I just, it's like um, it instead of a, a a round puck, there's like this oval shape that you use. Yes. Um, yeah. And yep. maybe a little bit more hitting than hockey as well. There's a lot more guys hitting at once. Yes. It's also a lot more fat guys. 
I mean, you can call, you go up to any of those guys and you call them fat to their face. <laughs> I will be a dead man. I know that. They'll bear hug me to death. Okay, cool. I think, I think we've got the, the context okay. for the tweet set up. So Andrew Luck, Andrew Luck uh, retired very early this week. And it's been interesting. Like I have friends who are in the card collecting hobby and people, people were buying some of his rookie cards for like four or $5,000 because wow. he's one of the top quarterbacks of the league. Yeah. And people were starting to try to return them because they were sudden, like they just dropped in value right away. No one expected this. People were picking him in their draft pools, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and he retired at the age of twenty nine, much to everyone's shock. Yes. Um, so, anyways, this idea that Kev's kind of drawing about though is just to show, and I think what I, I liked about the tweet it was just to show that if you will, like we always like to talk about bad preaching in a novice order or whatever. This is not unique to the Novus Ordo. Mm-hmm. And that bad preaching exists everywhere. Yes. <laughs> it has nothing to do with what kind of mass you're doing. It has everything to do with the heart and the soul that's behind it. And I, I, I'm like, I, I'm honestly, I, I would love to have been a fly on the wall at that mass because to kind of think about that because I, I could never, ever have a homily like that. Right. It's very silly. Yes, it's very silly. I will say this just about the Andrew Luck thing. I'm of two minds. Yeah. One, like, he's the one who has to live with his body. Oh, yeah. And, like, the fact that he yeah. made a bunch of money and doesn't want to play football anymore, I don't hold that against him. No. Nope. Though I do understand, like, quitting right before the season starts, kind of a jerk <laughs> yeah. move, you know? Like, maybe make that yeah. decision sooner so your team can get ready yeah. for it. But yeah. uh, it is amazing. Like, this is, like, the big news. Yeah. Everyone's talking it's about it. Huge. It's very fascinating. Yes. Cool. All what do you got? right. So this is a tweet from the great Tommy Ty. Catholic Radio this morning. The idea of simplex priests is a bad one. Blessed Solanus Casey, not impressed. <laughs> so, a few definitions here. Uh, a simplex priest is something that happened in the Middle Ages mostly, right? Mostly, yeah. I mean, it existed afterwards, too, because it existed with Solanus. Right. Blessed Solanus, right? Oh, right, so. yeah. And this is a color photo of him, so I assume it yeah. happened recently. Um, yes. So uh, a simplex priest is a priest who has faculties, and faculties are like permissions, because um, the priest is very much tied to his bishop. He serves mm-hmm. on behalf of the bishop. Uh, it's very part, a deep part of our spirituality, which I think sometimes priests kind of forget because they are cranky. But anyway. Mm-hmm. So you have permission to say mass, but you don't have permission to hear confessions, do pastoral counseling, that kind of thing. You basically or just... Preach. Or preach. Or preach. Right, right, right. Right. You're essentially ordained to say mass. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that uh, someone might be, you know, be holy enough to be a priest, but not have the uh, mental faculties. That's a strong way of saying it. But just they shouldn't be preaching. So you're a simplex mm-hmm. priest. You can still offer the holy sacrifice. You can do good mm-hmm. for people, but not in mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. Now, I've heard a bunch of different perspectives on this, because I don't know a whole lot about simplex priests. Uh, and right. There's another priest on Twitter, I'll think of his name in a second here, but was saying that culturally speaking, a lot of times large families back in the day, they would send one of their sons to be a priest. But that son who was sent to be a priest wasn't the most academic-minded. So you would just make him a simplex priest, he could collect money and be a part of a thing, and it's kind of like a cynical outlook on that, which I didn't mm-hmm. realize was a thing. Right. But the, also the idea of simplex priests, like in theory, I'm not opposed to because there are like good holy people who, and God bless them, shouldn't be preaching or people striving for holiness that could offer a mass. But maybe they shouldn't be giving advice in the confession. And it sounds kind of contradictory. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard for me to think of a, a, a scenario that would happen. But, but eh. yeah. anyway, well, th- go ahead. I was going to say, think about it this way, too, though, like the primary the connection between the priest and the mass is that's where the strongest exercise of priesthood really is. Yes. Right. Baptisms. I, w- I think they might be able to do baptisms because baptisms technically anyone can do too. I, th- I wouldn't be surprised if they'd be allowed to do baptisms. Sure. Um, but, um, um, anointings actually, I wonder about anyways, but confessions. Yes. It's an important priestly role, but the heart of the priesthood is to offer sacrifice. Right. Yeah. So if you're being ordained for that, you're doing the most important thing you can do. And uh, and and we've seen like, yeah, Blessed Solanus is a great example that even the curators didn't have all his faculties right away when he was ordained. Right. Right. So so I I, I don't know. I I think especially in the climate in the West might not be a bad idea. I've actually heard I've heard of other priests who have been because of maybe they've been a little too a little too vocal. In, in their criticisms of certain things like in an unhealthy way yeah. 
the bishop allows them to say mass, but he never allows them to preach and stuff right. like that. So I've heard I've heard of situations like that, and I don't think it's a bad thing. I think we have to remember that everything the priest does is as a is an extension of the bishop's ministry, and so the bishop has the right to revoke certain rights to a priest if he's not in union and in the heart of the bishop. Mm. And just to give credit, that was Father Ryan mm. Hildebrand that brought up that other right. argument. But yeah. to finish off this tweet, uh, Blessed Solanus was a super holy man and was known for his holiness. Yep. And that's why he's why he's blessed. Even though he could not mm-hmm. preach, people would go to him because he was just hit, like, like the way he said mass, the way he lived his life, the simplicity which mm-hmm. he lived his life made him a great uh, Capuchin? Question mark saint. I think I want to say Capuchin. Definitely Franciscan. It's hard I to forget. keep those Franciscans straight. There's too many of there's, them. There's there's just just oodles and noodles of them. Yeah, from at terrible maps. Map of all the churches in Poland, and it's a. Uh, it is a Google map, yep. and I guess they did a search for church, and the entire country is just black and white <laughs> with church icons. Yeah, there's little tiny church icons, just like your, here's a yeah. church, here's the steeple kind of deal, and yeah. there, there's barely any ground where there's not a yeah. church. The whole there's place is awash, there. awash in churches in Poland. And it is beautiful, and it's like, this, this, is, the heart, this is Poland right here. This is... This is why I, I almost feel like Poland is uh, Poland is unique in the life of the of the Roman Church yes. in a beautiful way, and I think in some ways it. I mean, it's the reason the the church has survived in the West for some times because it actually stopped the movement of certain Turkish armies over the centuries, mm-hmm. um, and it just always has embraced the heart. And I think that that image it actually speaks beautifully to who the Polish people are as a culture, that they're rooted in their faith. But, and this is like the beautiful thing about Poland, they're deeply Catholic, but they're also deeply Polish. And they're not exactly the same thing. Right, like being deeply Catholic and being deeply Italian, that's the same thing. Right? Yeah, yeah, you agree, you agree. Anyway, you were saying something about the difference between Polish and Catholic? But I was just, I was just, but their Polishness is an expression of their Catholicism. Um, but their culture, like the the church, is if you will, like a seed. It's a leaven to their culture, if you will. Yeah. I guess is the best way to put it. So there's a real distinction, right, between the bread and the leaven, if you will, mm-hmm. Poland and and the church. But the church is is so integral to who they are as a people, and it's in a very healthy way. Yeah. Because that hasn't always been done. Like in Quebec, for example, that was similar. Mm-hmm. But it fell apart in the '60s. Right. It ha- I mean, it's it's not as strong as it was in Poland, but it's still incredibly strong by Western standards. Right. Yeah. Anyways, this is a fun. Look it up, folks. To at Terrible Maps, it's a fun image. Yeah, to look and just at. Terrible Maps is a fun account just by itself. Yeah. Okay, this one is from at T with Tolkien. All right, this is a great <laughs> joke. This is I love yeah. this joke. It's super nerdy joke. Okay. This Sunday, my goddaughter is being baptized, and we're gonna do it in Latin, and I am extraordinarily excited get it get it get it (laughs) so just in case you haven't been listening to the podcast if you don't know um the latin rite has two forms of its liturgy the ordinary rite which is what most catholics grew up with and the extraordinary rite which is the older latin rite Form. Form. Sorry, you're right. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah. Yes. One they're, right, not the, they're the same right. Same yes. right, two forms. Thank you. Yes. So she's extraordinarily excited because it's the extraordinary form. Extraordinary form. And it took me, like, I first read the tweet and I was like, oh, that's nice. And I was like, oh, it's a joke. It's a funny, funny joke. <laughs> so I it wanted is a to funny joke. <sighs> well, you want to know what? Uh, it is a funny joke. And <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy it, Caitlin. Yes, I'm uh, really that, beautiful. The baptism. I'm sure, you'll, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So. One thing that people accuse the Novus Ordo of mm-hmm. is modernism. Ooh. And we're going to talk about that now in Presbyteral Exhortations. And now it is time for Presbyteral Exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Mm-hmm. I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's oh, the best part. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Quite. Yes. Quite. Right. I'm so excited. Cause all you've right. Been, all right. You've all right. been praying. You've been taking notes. You've been all fired up about this. I, folks, I have, I have papers in my hands right here. Mm-hmm. I actually wrote by hand notes for this podcast today because I'm trying to be more 
more prepared in my life. You know, I'm trying to take what I did with the sister seriously. Um, and I am doing this. So just as a little background, this is, this is part of the fruit of my research when I did my master's thesis on Maurice Blondel. There is, this is scratching the surface as I off, we often do here. This is meant to be intro. Yeah. There is a lot more details, a lot more behind the scenes stuff, even some politics, et cetera, that I'm not going to get into too much here. But I want to talk about what modernism is and, and because, I don't know. Well, Father Anthony. See, I'm confused by this, Father Harrison, yes. why you have all these notes. Because modernism is very easy to yes. define. I'll do it for okay, you. Okay, we define it. Yeah. Thank you. Modernism is anything I don't like in the church and the world. Oh, okay. Right? So it's subjective. Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. My standards are the objective way all things should be measured, right? And therefore- But all objective things are measured by your standards. Yes, exactly. Okay. And that's modern. That sounds like a very fa- that sounds like a very Father Anthony t- thing to do. <laughs> I really hope not. I really hope it's not actually a Father Anthony thing to do. But I just bring that up because <laughs> I think why yes. we're talking about this is that's yeah. how a lot of people treat this idea of modernism. A, a seagull mm-hmm. flies by and they point at it and say, "Ah, modernism." Right. And so, like, it's a word that's it's a word that's thrown out. I this is why I want to talk yeah. about. It. It's thrown around so much, and people actually have no idea what they're talking about. People don't know what Frankly. they're talking about on the internet. Frankly. I know it's crazy, yeah. um, but okay. In seriousness, okay. besides, I, and I mean, not that what you were just answering isn't serious. It actually is in a joking way. Yeah, but yeah. it's serious. It is. It, I think that is actually how some people essentially do unintentionally mm-hmm. talk about it. But when you hear that word modernism, what what is? If you were to give a definition to it, if you could, um, what would you think it would be? Yeah, I think it's difficult to pin down because it's kind of this amalgamation of various kinds of heresy under this mm-hmm. uh, under a certain umbrella so right. there's like um enlightenment stuff in there there's secularism mm-hmm. stuff in there uh mm-hmm. there's um uh a there's a lot of subjectivism in there i would say uh so i i think it's kind of defined as an umbrella term mm-hmm. of a bunch of different things so that, that's why it makes it a little slippery sometimes i think yeah okay and when okay besides that one definition you gave what are what do you think some people mean when they say it do you do you yeah, have, yeah. outside of what you said do you think there's other other ways people tend to use it i think people tend to use it more in like a um technological sort of way so okay. like you know very uh microphones at mass or they use it right. more as a measurement of time and not as an idea or a philosophy right okay so cool. like the newer things are modern that's modernism yeah. and and that's part of that's part of the the meaning of the word that we're going to get into here in a minute um so that's awesome good thanks um so i think one of the largest issues with the term is that it often it when people use it they are missing the mark or they're grasping at a small part of it mm-hmm. with but missing the whole they're missing the whole so for example the kind of what you're just talking about like people will use it like as an aesthetic judgment yeah right Felt mo- banners at mass are modernism, mm-hmm. right? And so they'll say anything that doesn't fit with, um, and that's where the subjective side of it comes in a lot. Um, this idea of if this doesn't fit my aesthetic of what I think the church's form should look like, that is de facto a modernism, yeah. right? And it makes you feel smarter because you could just yes. say felt banners are ugly and bad, which right. is true. But instead, they try to like make it sound more important, more grave than it actually is, right. and they say it's actually the heresy of modernism. Yes, the other the other way I've often heard it from people is um, I remember hearing this, especially when I was in the seminary, when my professor was asking us this question: "What does the word modernism be?" And everyone's put up their hand. Well, that's easy. It places man at the center. And my and my mm-hmm. uh, and this is the way a lot of people look at it: that the human person or humanity itself is seen as the center point of everything without any reference to God or anything like that. We are the height of, of, of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a very uh, anthropocentric worldview without transcendence. Um, and my professor would say, wrong. Ooh. And then this one guy, he was, I remember when one guy was really pushing it and Father Don's like, wrong. No, no, wrong, wrong. No, stop it. You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a very important thing for seminarians to hear every once in a while. Yes, it is. Stop. So we need to be you're put, wrong. You need, to put, you're, you need to be put in your place. Um, and again, it catches on to a truth of it, sure. but it's not the heart of it. 
and I would actually say that modernism is actually a far more dangerous than, say, an aesthetic issue mm-hmm. or an anthropological issue. I think it, it, it's actually much more dangerous than that. And one of the things we talked a lot on the podcast is this kind of twofold loss, right? We've talked about um, how for Catholics, we've, we've, we've lost that view of sacramentality, right? Yeah. And more broadly, we talked about way early on in the podcast, Catholic atheism. Oh, right, right? yeah. Remember? Um, and I would say both these problems are actually found in modernism, mm-hmm. both culturally and within the church. And, and they go hand in hand, but they have, I would say, different expressions. So my goal here is, I actually had three goals initially, but I had to cut it down to two because I realized I would talk too long otherwise. Uh, so <laughs> We're getting we always so do much more. better. We're getting so much better as better. a podcast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we might actually be a professional podcast one day. One day. Um, one day, maybe, if we get a better producer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, Nick, I'm kidding you. I love you. We love you. So I want to first thing just is just, it's a linguistic thing. Let's look at the term mm-hmm. and, and let's see what that says. And then finally, I want to talk about... Um, a little bit how modernism with a like a part b to that just a little bit about what modernism looks like in the church a little bit of history around that and then finally uh you and i can have a bit of a discussion how we can find our about how we can find our way out of modernism okay okay so that's what we're gonna do yeah so let's define some terms so as a theologian i find it hard not to define terms this is like what we do Mm -hmm. and especially in this case i think it's so important because we confuse three uses of the word modern and we think them to all mean the same thing. And so when I was doing this, I, I, have you ever, do you know what the OED is? The OED, remind me. The Oxford English Dictionary. Oh, and it gives you the, And it gives you the whole history of a word. Mm-hmm. And now, very interestingly, the word modern doesn't really get a hold in Latin. Like it, it was used earlier, even in Latin. Mm-hmm. Up in, up, it, the earliest source we can find is around the 6th century. But it wasn't really used in language and in like day-to-day parlance until about the 15th, 16th century. Yeah. So it's very interesting that as modernity develops, so does the term. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so let's talk about the word modern. So as, as I said, modern itself is a sense a bit of a modern world. Um, but for the sake of simplicity, we're going to speak about two meanings of this word. The first one is that it, it denotes a particular period, right? We think of like modernity, right? Or the modern period, which for, for those who don't know, modern period, I would say comes from about, you're looking around mid 16th century, mm-hmm. times of the enlightenment-ish, reformation, et cetera. That's, that's your beginning of modernity. And I would say till about the 1960s. We're actually, we're out of, this is the other interesting thing. While we're still in, in the throes of modernity, I would actually argue that we're a bit more postmodern now. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, that's my rough period uh, with that. And also, like, we're getting lazier and worse at naming eras. Oh, yeah. Like, modernity is just, like, what's happening now, like, basically. Yeah. And then, like, post-modernity, yeah. what's after what's happening now. We got to yeah. come up with some yeah. better names. Exactly. Okay. So the second way, and this is more akin to how we would tend to use it in church speak, is is to mean the things of today, Right. And it's particularly synonymous with contemporary, right? Oh, that's that's very modern looking, or that's modern sounding, or whatever, right? It means we always tend to mean new, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. Again, that's actually important because it doesn't just because something is modern doesn't mean, mean it's bad, mm-hmm. okay? So the reason I'm saying this with the word modern is um, modern and modernity is that while it it can encapsulate a certain era, even a certain philosophical ideology. And, and, and worldview, not all of it is thrown out and not all of it is bad. Yeah. Okay. Does that make sense so far? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I would, I would just add a little addition with that. Um, modern is very much tied to the word progress today Yeah. as well. So, but now let's, let's talk about modernism. Okay. Now, when we use it, and especially in church speak, we usually use it to mean just about anything new or against our aesthetic sensibilities, or on any emphasis on subjectivity or experience. Now, while these may or may not be rooted in modernism as an ideology, they are not what modernism is properly so-called. So uh, when you think about 
um, modernism. Which pope comes to your mind as like the great battler oh, against modernism? Oh, Trajan get angry at me for this. Um, which <laughs> one was it? Was it a pious? It was a pious. Okay. Which one? <laughs> pious the tenth was the one who did communion. Yes. Hey. Yep. yep. That's it. Um, that's a bingo. That's a bingo. <laughs> uh, so yes, uh, uh, that Pius X, especially um, in his uh, document Pescendi Dominici Gregis, um, in in popular just known as Pescendi, mm-hmm. um, he also in, instituted the oath against modernism, etc. So that's what I was looking at. I was reviewing. I've read it a few times. Mm-hmm. I was rereading it again this last week. Um, but what's interesting about the document is that it lacks one thing. I know. It's like, oh, it doesn't do something. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Guess what? Church documents aren't always perfect. Right. It doesn't define modernism. Mm. What hap- It's more of a descriptive document. And I think this is why we tend to just throw the term out too loosely. We don't understand the substance of it. Yeah. So it, it talks about... Um, the different characteristics, right? It talks about this enlightenment ideas. And it talks about the lack of miracle, the the miss, the loss of the understanding of the mere miraculous of God acting in the world, etc. It goes through all these descriptive ways yeah. of different ideologies that are kind of an expression of modernism, but never actually really defines modernism. Right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you guys a definition that my prof used in seminary that I have not been able to forget. It sticks in my head, and I can never because I think it gets to the substance of what Pescendi was trying to get across. Mm-hmm. And it's this. Modernism is a denial of mediation. That's it? That- That's it. Modernism is a denial of mediation. Hmm. Before I, I can explain, what, 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 what do you think when you hear this? Well, at first I was like, that's a really simple thing for this long document that I'm looking at right now. Right. Um, yeah. The denial of mediation. I mean, so much of our faith is mediation. I mean, everything right. from the incarnation to the priesthood to the church to sacramentality, that's all in different ways, in different forms, uh, mediation. Mm-hmm. Um, revelation right. is, I think you consider a kind of mediation as well, uh, the right. way it uh, is expressed to us and everything. So it's it definitely right. covers a lot of who we are as Christians. Yeah. Exactly. So you hit it right on the head, exactly. And I'll kind of break that down a little bit more in a bit here. Mm. Um, But this is exactly it. That modernism argues that there is no spiritual underpinning to the whole of the cosmos. Okay? That God and the world, spirit and matter, can never interact. So, for example, Mm. like, you and I, we're just, we're just, we're just rational. Yeah, we're rational creatures, but there is no soul, really. We're just... We're all the fruits of just evolution, etc. So this is so why this is um, at the heart of modernism is long and convoluted. It starts with Descartes' idea that the mind determines reality. Mm-hmm. Okay, that subjective turn. It finds a helpmate in Kant's ethics that see them spiritual or the noumenal as fundamentally irrational. Not in the sense that it's like for Kant, why he says it's irrational is that the mind can't not can't know it directly. And since it can't know it directly, therefore it's not truly knowable because it's, it's not really right, rational. Yeah. Um, so that's why, that's why it's, that's, a, and then it's, and, it, and I don't, and I didn't mean that in a derogatory sense. When we hear the word irrational, we always think of it in a negative sense. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's not what he meant. He just meant that you can't know it directly. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then you combine this also with Hegel's imminent frame by which nothing exists outside this cosmos, right? Everything is the result of dialectic, right? Um, you have the thesis, you have the antithesis, and these two things always have to come together to create a synthesis. But that's all within the realm of creation. That's this dialectic. That's always that, that's his kind of idealistic view of, of creation. Everything, these, these two forces are at play to always create a new synthesis. Um, but it's all imminent. There is nothing that refers to us outside of this universe. So then why is this denial of mediation bad? Right, it, that's your that's a little philosophical history. There, there's so much more to it, sure. but that's it. Um, so, if modernism is true, then the following could never occur. Okay, let's just go with the logic. Yeah. God and the world can't interact. Mm-hmm. God, the, you know, a modernist might say God exists. Right. Right. So it's it, it's kind of like a Muslim view of God, actually. Right. Because mm-hmm. Muslims don't really believe in the imminence of God, that God can be close to His creation, mm-hmm. that there's a real separation between God and creation. For, for Christians, we've always argued, and I would say for Jewish people too, we've always talked about creation in, in a mediated way. Right. 
God works through his creation. Yeah. They can interact with each other. Yeah. And that's that's mediation. That's mediation, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. It means, so if God and the world can interact, it means there's no creation. There is no soul. We are not personally created. God couldn't reveal himself, right? Because if the, God and the world can't interact, he can't reveal himself. God couldn't reveal himself to Israel. He couldn't save them from Pharaoh and lead them to the promised land. Indeed, I would. you could say no miracles could occur. Um, yeah. You know, the Red Sea is just a, a result of natural forces, right? Um, it, you know, Moses is using um, different natural phenomenon to push an ideology of a monotheistic God, but it's not actually based in any real reality or anything like that. But let's take this further. The incarnation is impossible. Right. Right. What is the incarnation? That's like, yeah, <laughs> that's God. That's that's the unity of God and man, like the most, exactly. most close super togetherness that they can be. Yeah. Um, the resurrection never happens. Mm -hmm. Right. The scriptures are just a historical document. I'll get back to that in a second. And the church is only a political tool. She's just the force of an ideology right, in the world. And that's it. I want to just focus briefly on the scripture part, though, too, because this is this is where it gets. This is, I, I would say, in, in the history of the church, this is where the modernist crisis hit a lot. So you have people like Boltman and stuff like that mm -hmm. uh, who were heavy into historical critical, right. who treated the Bible as only historical document. It is a historical document, yeah. and it can be subject to historical criticism, mm -hmm. right? Even Pope Benedict argues this. But it, it is not primarily a historical document. It's actually primarily a book that reveals God to, the, to us, right? Mm -hmm. So if you take out, if modernism is true and the scriptures are just a historical tool, then uh, everything the scriptures communicate to us about God is not true, which means that you can... Um, like the stories about the resurrection, right? They would say often, well, the resurrection never happened. It was just kind of a, a memory that the early apostles had of Jesus. Right, right. right. They, they finally understood his teaching, and it was yeah. like Jesus Christ was alive again in their hearts, and that's why exactly. they blah, 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 right, exactly, and so on and so forth. This is this is the heart of the crisis. So this is why in the early 20th century, you, you have this anti-modernist push in the church, mm -hmm. And how this all went about was interesting, some good, some not so good. It got a little authoritarian there for a while. Mm -hmm. um, but also, this is actually a time in the church where you also see a real discovery of the richness of Scripture as well. Like, there is, all, I don't know how about you, we had to read all the church documents on Scripture. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of them came from the late 19th and early 20th century, which is precisely when the modernist crisis was hitting it the most. Yeah. Um, so because the church understood that this was the crux of it all like and so you had scripture scholars both within the church and outside the church undermining everything that the church has to say by saying miracles can't happen mm -hmm. essentially god can't interact with the world but this is what modernism was this is the heart of it and so it gets expressed in like an anthropocentrism it gets expressed in an aesthetic judgment definitely um, because form does communicate content it does get expressed in in how we see miracles and God's interaction with the world and the church. I mean, the sacraments are just just symbols, right? right? If this is all true, nothing actually happens there. This is what modernism does, and you start to see, oh my gosh, it destroys everything. Yeah. Right. This is why, um, it's it really, I would say, in a way. Outside of Arianism, this is the next greatest heresy to ever hit the church. You know, I I, I don't disagree with you, but it seems like the, uh, I'm, I'm just going to throw in a thought that I've been thinking yep. since you've been talking. Yeah. yeah. This feels like the culmination of the religious wars after the Protestant Reformation. Go on. So with the Protestant, I don't think we actually talk, because we're so interested in um, ecumenism, and there's a desire for unity. I think sometimes that desire for unity doesn't let us talk about the real problems that happened in the Reformation, how terrible it was to Christianity. And I mm -hmm. think, I think it, even a Protestant could be convinced of this. Um, but anyway, so as a result of this breaking apart, this the, probably the most bre radical breaking apart of Christianity, I think, in the world, I would say. 
And you have you've been listening to these Brad Gregory lectures, haven't you? I have been. I'm like halfway through, and they're really, really good. <laughs> Sorry, I took a little I break because I was binging them, but I'll get back into yeah. it. So you have this radical break and this damaging of the psyche, where this thing that underpinned yeah. all of reality, culture, politics, yeah. which was Catholicism, Christianity, becomes broken, and it seems to break the mind of man. And there's a desire just to have people stop killing each other. This is my commentary, not his. Mm-hmm. And so that's when you begin to have religious toleration, where and that, and that grows and grows. Uh, and mm-hmm. then there's a desire because, like, where was God in that? It, all, mm-hmm. it seems like a lot of stuff comes down to the problem of evil. Uh, and right. the quick answer is, well, it doesn't look like God was in that. But we right. still kind of like Christianity. So how do we make Christianity more reasonable? And this is liberal Protestantism. That's a project of it. Mm-hmm. And it sounds right. like modernism is kind of the fruits of liberal Protestantism. The remo- mm-hmm. Since it seems our personal experience is that God isn't at work in the world because you have Christians killing Christians, you have all, all this you know, scandal and outrage, that it seems like the natural conclusion of what they had experienced, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. And if you remember our episode on the sacramental worldview, yeah. um, we I talked about how Ratzinger approaches luther's approach to scripture mm-hmm. right and that luther luther loses that whole sacramental vision right because of his nominalistic training etc yeah. um he sees the scriptures not as as christ yesterday today and forever being present there that it's the past always being made present to point us towards a future yeah um that all time is present through the scriptures so that there's a sacramental participation in the mysteries of christ for luther they just become um they just become a historical document. Yeah. Right? Um, I'm not saying that he, he's not saying that God doesn't speak in them, and that he does, but it, it, and I'm not saying he's sorry, I shouldn't say just a, sp- a historical document, but um, this, his way of approaching scripture and the way a lot of the reformers approach scripture actually undermines the very nature. Like, they didn't have the foresight, unfortunately, to understand actually that this whole sacramental worldview actually is what keeps Christianity together. Yeah. It, it, like, yeah. trick humanism is in the sacramental worldview. It's the only way to bring Christianity back together. I think so as well. Well, I think right? I think with that is is the church. Because if you begin mm-hmm. to see the church as purely a human institution, the church is is the mediator. It is the bride of yeah. Christ. It is how exactly. we experience God. And if you right. no longer believe in the mystical part of the church, then all this other stuff falls apart as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it, and that's what it happens, right? That's, and that, and it's, um, and this is, this I think if you start to understand, if, if me, if, if you understand that simple definition, modernism is a denial of mediation. Mm-hmm. And you start to think about all the different areas of the life of, of Israel, of Christianity and of the scriptures, and just of what we'd call like fundamental theology around the interaction, the fundamental reaction, interaction about who God is, does he exist, et cetera. All these things fall apart when you buy into this idea that God cannot mediate himself to the yeah. world. Everything falls apart. And I mean, while it's not so much the area I would I've ever focused on, you could even start to intuit that not that's not even just true for Catholicism. There's I would argue that that's a more fundamental anthropological and natural problem as well. Because if you think about it, we are cre- like this is how we know things. It's through mediation. Yeah, right? everything is through mediation. And mediation. Yeah, I'm speaking words right now. Yeah. I'm speaking words, right? Words are mediating thoughts that are in my head to you, so that you can hear them and and, and appropriate them for yourselves. That's a sacrament, yeah. right? And the reason why people don't like mediation, and the reason why a lot of Protestant theology doesn't like mediation, is because they assume because there's mediation, because we are uh, kind of speaking through different um, mediations were receiving it, mm-hmm. they jump to the conclusion that there as actually isn't real connection. Right. So that's the, yes. like the go right to Christ thing. But what they don't yeah. understand is the only way to connect is through mediation. That's how you exactly. are closest. Yeah, that's how we're, and that's how we're created, yeah. right? That's, that is, that is it, like literally, I mean, and if this is all based in the revelation that comes from the incarnation. Yes. That how does God reveal Himself through, to the world by hiding, quote unquote, hiding Himself in human flesh? Mm-hmm. That is, I've, I've been really on a kick lately about um, revelation and hiddenness. Uh, but uh, this is um, this is what God does: is He that how does He reveal Himself to the world? He takes on 
He mediates himself through things, through creation. This is Paul's whole thing in, Ch- in Romans 1 and 2, right? That you can even know God just by the, his works. His works mediate his, his reality, his presence. And you can know this. And, and, and we've been constituted this way. This is why modernity is, or, or the modern project, I should say, and, and even the postmodern project. Well, the postmodern project's worse because it says, well, they're just, all meaning is stupid. Right. <laughs> right, because and, and and it's not wrong. It's an extension of modernity, which says if because there's no ultimate transcending principle. Yeah. Modernity tried to find a principle within creation itself, and it always failed. Yeah. But postmodernism says you're right. You can't find anything here. Therefore, it's all me. It's all garbagely goop. And everything I'm saying, you can't actually understand. It's all just. It's all politics. Like this is why you're having a lot of things around. Uh, word like people are using words now as weapons and everything because that's all they really are they're just tools for political advantage and to get your way in the world to will your way to things but they actually have no fundamental meaning and so you can do with them whatever you want because there's nothing to transcend it to give it an underpinning and a grounding there's nothing to underpin your rationality and there is nothing to get at the heart of of of, uh that gets that that really actually helps us to get into connect with our humanity. Postmodernism is just an extension of that modern project mm-hmm. in a new way. It takes its logic to its its extreme. And I think that's why we fear it in a way, our, I'd say at least our generation, because that's what we know. Um, we, we fear it because we see it's destroyed and we, we actually recognize, yeah, there is no meaning in this in this modern world. I'm af- Or in this yeah, modern vision, right, right, right. I should say, yeah. yeah. I'm afraid that there are a lot of Christians who would vocally denounce modernism who are unaware that they are living in it and operating by similar principles. So if the church is, how do I want to say this? Okay, so it seems like this whole modernism thing is uh, experientially, if God isn't with us the way we want him Mm -hmm. to be with us, then we turn to other gods. So in a yeah. certain sense, this is a very old sort of thing. This happens in Israel. Yeah. This happens uh, with Adam and Eve. If God isn't with us yeah. in the way we want him to be, then we'll turn to other gods. We'll turn to other things. So that's right. the modernist principle as well. well. We'll turn to humanity. We'll turn to creation because God isn't with us in the same way. Right. If the church is this great mediator, it's how we experience God. It's how we learn about Jesus Christ. It brings about – it's because of the church that we have sacraments. Um, yeah. So – if we stop looking at the church as having a spiritual mystical underpinning, if we begin right. to treat it as a political institution, we're, we're falling into this. And where I see this is because of the, the crisis of authority in the church today, because of either bad teachers or because mm-hmm. people in authority performing heinous and evil acts, they fall into the, some, some critics fall into the same trap. God isn't mm-hmm. with us in the way we want him to be with us. So then mm-hmm. we turn to our own activism. And the right. church becomes, while they wouldn't say it, they treat it in the same way that we treat all modern problems, that we have to turn to humanity, we have to turn to creation, we have to turn to political activism. And in their critiques mm-hmm. of the church and in their kind of um, carelessness in calumny, they start mm-hmm. wounding the body in that way because yeah. now they are the ones that take care of it. It's, it's kind of a modernist way of going about reform of the church mm-hmm. does that make sense yep exactly yeah absolutely so let's talk about yeah. that so then like let's talk about combating modernism so before like you and i talk about just a little kind of little history here yeah. um so the church combated it in many ways um pious the 10th the pious is i should say uh were working hard to combat it in the church and and I think I mentioned in the Vatican II episode, even Pius XII was talking about the Second Vatican Council at this time um, as a way, as a response to the modernist problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's important to know, though, like the popes were doing their thing. There were, and then there are priests and different, and cardinals and stuff in their offices in Rome mm-hmm. who got a little too zealous around the modernist problem. Okay. okay? So I'll give you an example. Yeah, so the, the person I know the best is is Maurice Blondel, who was a Catholic philosopher of the time. And he was accused by um, Gary Goulagrange, who was the, he's called the monster of Thomism. <laughs> uh, uh, the sacred monster of Thomism, I should say. Uh, well, it's very interesting. He, he charged, he personally made a public accusation that um, Maurice Blondel's uh, arguments were modernist. Okay. 
And he lists off a bunch of things like the method of eminence, etc. Interestingly, though, uh, he was pushed about this one time. and He acknowledged that he had never he never read more than two pages of Blondell because he found him too difficult to read. Oh, yes. Now, um, um, adding to this, though, is both both Pius XI and Pius X. And I want to say even maybe Pius XII, but I can't remember. But Pius eleventh and tenth and eleventh for sure, both wrote the Archbishop of Aix, which is where Blondel was living, mm-hmm. to let him know personally that Blondel was never under any suspicion from them, and that he wanted to encourage him him in his good works as, as a philosopher. Mm-hmm. So you see, the popes have this certain vision of modernism, but then you had people going a little excessive, and a, 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 I would say a, a tragic figure in all this was Henri de Lubac who was actually silenced for 15 years for some of his books, mm-hmm. but actually then becomes a paratus and uh, and great expert at the Second Vatican Council. Mm-hmm. And then Vatican II really, we talked about this already, Vatican II was actually, it really is there to, what happens after the councils I talked about in our Vatican II podcast is um, is really the the falling out of the modern modernism hitting the church, yeah. right? people stop believing in everything that actually makes us Catholic and they leave en masse. They start promoting weird heresies and all this stuff. The council itself though was created to help stem the tide and to rebuild the church from within with this, this sacramental vision. Yeah. And then you have, and I would say you have popes like John Paul II and Benedict, especially who are really trying to reemphasize the sacramental vision. So I want to say like, and we can bring this into discussion here. Um, I, I think my, my, my sense is that we need to have a twofold response to it still because it hasn't it still exists it's still out there mm-hmm. um, we heard we heard lately um, uh, from the Jesuit superior oh my that the devil's the devil's not a person right right yeah that's modernism yep. that that is actually modernism okay <laughs> that is actually a proper use of the term uh, but so I think there's a twofold two-prong approach the first one is internally in the church and that's rediscovering the sacramental worldview we talked about in episode 12. Mm-hmm. That is the heart of our identity, and that's actually the crux of what cre- keeps Christianity intact. Yes. And the second is to take to get more serious about our apologetics, which means, and this is what Blundell did, by the way, um, and this is something I think Ratzinger does as well, um, and John Paul II too, they take modern thought seriously. Yeah, and they're not afraid to engage with it. Exactly. And they say, what's good in this? And there is some good stuff in them. But those good things always point to something more that the ideology or the philosophy can't answer itself. We need to be better apologists and not this like, like I, I got to be honest, I get very frustrated sometimes with simplistic apologetics yeah. of Bible proofing and everything. No, no, that's not where the real ideas are. The real ideas are the substance of things. And we need to take, we need to engage with all these, these ideologies that are emerging in the world and to treat them seriously and to take them at, at, what, at face value of what they're saying and then apply reason and faith to that to pull it out to its proper conclusion. This is what Blondell did, by the way, with modernity. He says modernity actually has a truth in it about infinity and then in our desire. He says but it, it, it always stops short. It doesn't, it's not logical about desire. And so he pushes it to its logical conclusion. He actually takes modernity on its own terms to show that it's insufficient to itself. That's good apologetics. Yep. And that's what we need to be doing. So that's, those are my, that's what I see. Yeah, just to, what do you, what about just you? to expound upon that a little bit more. Because there seems to be a very, among some uh, Catholic commentators, there tends to be a defensiveness around modernism and a refusal to engage in ideas, which is at its heart un-Catholic. If you look at, um, if you look at, I mean, Aquinas, you know, every good faithful Roman Catholic loves Aquinas. He was willing to engage with certain ideas. He wasn't afraid Mm -hmm. of them. And when you have someone who very quickly, and this isn't the job for everyone, but it's the job of theologians. It's the job of, if you're going to be a Catholic writer, if you're going to be a Catholic apologist, you're taking on this job. Mm -hmm. You need to be strong enough in your own convictions and in your heart to be willing to engage intellectually with these ideas. It's not enough to say, this is stupid, don't listen to it. You have to enter right. into it to figure out 
why it's stupid. This is why when we when we study philosophy, we study uh, Nietzsche, the other philosophers you mentioned, because if you're going to combat the thought, you have to be willing enough to know it. And it seems like the attitude of some commentators today is that there's this fear almost that mm-hmm. the church won't hold up if you engage that thought. I think that's in the yeah, back of exactly. their minds and hearts. I mean, who knows? Who knows? Mm-hmm. But I think a strong church isn't afraid to engage with the world because the gates of hell will never prevail against it. So you're willing to go exactly. and attack the gates, but actually right. attack and not just very defensively cut stuff off. Because also this right. is, I mean, and part of this is also on a pastoral human level as well. If you freak out every time you meet someone who uh, sins in a different way that you than you do, if you freak out every time you engage with someone who has an incorrect worldview, you are never going to be able to mediate Christ to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm stealing this, I think, from uh, my youth minister who was talking about how when Christ uh, returns, and um, this is when he's um, the road to Emmaus, right? So the two right. disciples are running to, going to Emmaus. They should have been in Jerusalem. They were going the wrong way, but Christ was yeah. willing to walk with them along the wrong way to engage mm-hmm. their hearts. That right. doesn't mean that we are subscribing to that thought, but we have to be willing to walk with that person to send them back to Jerusalem. And that requires exactly. a patience, that requires a suffering on the cross, and requires a lot yeah. of prayer to check your own hearts. Why are you so afraid to yeah. do this? So I think yes. people really need to check themselves as we engage in this product, uh, project, because if you don't, yeah. you're just going to do more damage. And I understand the fear a little sure. bit, because we've seen that when people do engage in this stuff, they get sucked in by it, right? You know, you see people getting sucked in by by this idea, like, yeah, okay, the devil's not a person or whatever. Or even, or um, even like, um, or, I mean, just to say something specifically, yeah. and uh, the yeah. the works of uh, of uh, Father James Martin, right. where he gets it right is this walking with someone. Where he gets it right. wrong is he never sends them back to Jerusalem. So, like, exactly. you can see, we have some bad examples of yeah. people who are willing to engage in the personal part but then yeah. don't have the, the love, the courage, and the fortitude to begin to gently try, by God's grace, to move their hearts back to the healing truth of the church. So I, I totally yeah, exactly. get why people are afraid to do it, because you don't want to be yeah. like those guys. Right, exactly, because you, or you're afraid if I give in, if I look into this, like, and that's the thing, but this is, here's the other thing. If fear is governing your heart when you're dealing with this stuff, then maybe this isn't an area you should concern yourself and with. And that's fine. And that's okay. This is why the church is a body. Right. Not everyone is meant to be the hero of the church, and too many people want to be exactly. that, but refuse to take up the cross. You know, exactly. we are on a certain level ordained to do this, right? Yeah. And there are other many good lay people who have taken up this challenge, have been called by God in a different way, who do an excellent job at it, right? But mm-hmm. that's a difficult thing to do, and not everyone's called to it. It doesn't mean you're not called to do great things for the church in small ways, but we have to have the humility to really realize what is God calling us to and what is he not calling us to. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So we need to, you need humility when you're dealing with this stuff. And if you feel like it's, it's too much for you, it's okay to step back. It's okay not to know everything. It's okay. It really is. Just chill. It's okay. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) They feel very comforted. Shh. It's okay. It's okay. Okay. On that note, Uh, there's so much more we could say about sure. this, um, but I think that's a nice little introduction, and I hope it was helpful. Um, so thanks for listening, folks. Please leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever, and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies, too, because Jesus said we must love our enemies. You can find me at Fr Harrison. You can find me at Father Sharapa on Twitter. You can contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, Clerically Speaking, or find us or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. God bless. Peace.